It's the Any Given Thursday podcast, here for our very last episode of the season. Um, Today we're just going to be breaking down a few of our favorite moments from our inaugural season of the podcast. Um, And then we're going to look ahead just so ever so briefly to those who have qualified for next year's competition. Um, Apologies for the super echoey conference room I'm in right now. I'm a busy working boy. I'm also eating some noodles. Ooh, slurp, slurp, slurp. A little slurp. I'm also <laughs> A lot of <clears throat> Sichuan pepper just went right down my, the wrong pipe. Mm. Well, uh, thank you for joining on the, the, us on this final episode. David, we've done a whole full season of the podcast. We launched cool this bad boy 11 months ago. And our listener count has stayed... Pretty Just much dead. <laughs> That's so true. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks to those of you who have stuck with us um, as we got in the ropes of this process. Um, only better things to come till we no longer have time to do it or we luck into a career in it. Um, Pretty fun. It's up to you, which it is. No pressure. So yeah, um, why don't we uh, why don't we go through? We've written down here some of our favorite um, moments, some of the best games, biggest underdogs, etc. Some milestone memories from both Europa and the Conference League um, in the past ten to eleven months. Uh, remember, we started up all the way in the third qualifying round um, at the start of August, end of July. Um, so there's a lot of games to cover. And uh, there's the dog barking. What's up, Doge? Um, and why don't we start off with the Europa League? David, do you have any favorite games from this past season? Oh, man. There were just so many great games to watch. Uh, You're I stalling. Know. I am stalling. <laughs> One that really stuck out to me, I think, at least from like a memorability standpoint, was the Barcelona-Manchester United uh, playoff knockout round. It was a good one. Finished two two. The first leg of that one. I mean, it was just. You're talking also, I think, in terms of just quality of play, in the tournament. Even though those weren't two teams that necessarily went very far, I think they put on a great performance, for the fans in those games. Um, until David de Gea and Harry Maguire, conspired later in the tournament to eliminate themselves. Manchester United <laughs> looked like the favorites. And Barcelona were coming there, yeah. Such great form that to see that period where United went through that stretch too, where they they won the League Cup and they were just like they really looked like they'd cracked something. Um, Everybody another turned into Ten Hag fans briefly, and yeah. Another thing I enjoyed about that game though was the the it was just like sort of tactically unique. Like that was when Ten Hag pulls out some weird shit from his bag. Um, He threw. Beghorst in the midfield, yeah, um, really surprised it. Barcelona. Um, made it made it a really uh, sort of chaotic game. Um, so yeah, there was high quality moments, but it was also kind of like ugly in a beautiful way, um, yeah. and not at all the match we expected. First time I gave Ten Hag any like credit as the United manager, I'd given him credit as the next manager. It was the first time I saw him do something like unique and like, different. Okay. I thought like, oh wow, he made the difference here. He was willing to to go to a level that, you know, because we've talked about this before, but he has this, he had this sort of system in Ajax 
a very sort of Dutch Croatian style that he wants to play a pressing style. Um, but to see him go to do some like Pep level strange creative moves um, and different from Pep though, because his team was the underdog and Pep's teams are never the underdog anymore. I don't um, think teams have ever had ever been, been the underdog. First time he's done um, sideline that Barca. Yeah, so this was a this was a this was him doing something um, completely unexpected and unique to sort of uh, steer the game in their favor, which I thought was fun. Um, let's go all the way back to qualifying for a couple of my favorites. Um, we had uh, in the third qualifying round in the second leg, Olympiakos made it past. Bratislava and Bratislava on penalties. This is after Slovan had a 94th minute equalizer to send it to extra time. And then two more goals in extra time sent us to penalties. Um, that was one of two rounds in a row in the qualifying where Olympiakos went to penalties um, against a should be weaker team. Um, we'll get to, we'll touch on them again. Uh, another one that was fun from the playoff qualifying. This was also the second leg was Zalgaris three, Ludogorets three. Um, Ludogorets scored a 120-minute penalty in extra time um, to win the aggregate 4-3. Um, also, just two of our favorite teams to watch in the Conference League and the Europa League, um, as Zalgaris would then drop into the Conference League groups. Yeah, um, I'm sure we'll mention these two teams later on at some point in this show, so I don't want to dig mm-hmm. too deep like, their runs yet. Yeah, but I thought indeed. Um, yeah, I also really enjoyed... Um, the a couple of three two more three three affairs um <clears throat> one in the group stage where Fenerbahce uh came back down three nil to Ren to equalize um late and also the 89th minute equalizer for Union Berlin in the first leg of the round of 16 um to level three three against Union Saint Joas who did eventually beat them pretty handily back in Belgium um, that, that was fun because it was a fixture we thought was going to be like you know, one nil, nil, nil defensive um, was not that. Yeah, I remember that game really, really well because of what you were saying. It's just it went totally opposite. Yeah, to it was not. We were like, yeah. Jesus Christ, it's 2 2 already. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, mm. Also, well, just an apology to anybody who is listening to really intently to my side. Somebody's car sounds like it's maybe getting stolen right outside of my apartment. <laughs> The alarm just keeps going off. I can't hear it, but I can't hear you that well. You may have to move slightly closer to your computer. Okay. I'm Zoom's s- pretty good at cutting off the, uh, you know, cutting off them. All right. I'll um, move right up next yeah, to the mic. I don't know right. where the mic is on this, but. That's great. Now I won't have to adjust the audio levels at all between between segments. Great. I just um, like what easier we, for you, Max. Why don't we move on to um, the biggest underdog runs of the competition? Um, we have a couple of contenders here, um, and we're not all we're not about selecting um, just a single one. We can't really we can't really be bothered to have that level of uh, decision making and focus. So we've chosen three. Um, one I think an obvious one is Union Saint Joas making a run to the quarterfinals, having never done so in their history um, in a European competition. That is. Um, yeah. You know, and having only been back in the top flight of Belgium, um, like two years. Yeah, just everything about their story right now has been an incredible, like, I don't want to say fairy tale because they are connected to a Premier League club, which obviously makes things 
a little easier for them. But it is like it's a historic team that has bounced back into the top flight, is competing up there for titles of the Belgian League, is going not like crazy deep in Europe, but getting out of the group stage in Europe and past a knockout round is pretty good for a Belgian side right now. And the fact that it's Union saint Joao who last title was what, like 102 years ago or something crazy like that, right? It was in the in the 30s, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 88 years ago they won the league title last. Um, so they're not quite the Chicago Cubs of Belgium, no. but they're close. One thing that's interesting about Union going into next year, obviously we'll see them in Europe again, um, is that they've, in this run since Tony Bloom bought the club, they've kind of hit their first period of, you'd say, adversity um, because they were basically like, Five, four or five minutes from winning the title a couple of weeks ago. Um, they were up 1-0 um, at home while uh, results were going their way elsewhere. And uh, they ended up uh, conceding an equalizer and then uh, lost the game chasing a winner. Um, so they went from, you know, first place to third in a matter of like four minutes, um, which not only cost them the title, but also knocked them out of Champions League qualifying rounds um, and dropped them into the Europa League qualifying rounds. Uh, so they're going to be in the playoff qualifying round. I think we'll get to that later. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they respond, um, having not really had something like that in this in these last like four or five years. That level of failure, I should say. Yeah, I also do wonder, how does like the... Tony Bloom having two teams in Europe work. Are they just like ignoring that because one of them's British and they would I assume care? Or is there I assume work around for it that is slightly different than the Milan Toulouse situation, which we'll touch on when we talk about next year's yeah. tournament. I assume because we for, because we haven't heard of this being an issue, um I assume the, their ownership structure is is built to avoid this. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me is, if that I, was part of their process in buying the club in the first place because, you know, he's a smart guy. And, you know, like, with Toulouse, I guess their logic was like, it's good. We're not really going to be a, you know, a top seven club or top six club in France anytime soon. But they, I think they had the expectation that St. Chalaz would be competing for Europe right away when they got yeah. promoted. So I assume they had planned for this in advance. And the Toulouse thing isn't finalized yet either, which. I mean, I think they are arguing like different boards or whatever. So Bloom at least took that step. And it mm. feels like there, there hasn't been any conversation about it. So there must be something he did that's different. I just don't know what it is. Right. Uh, another um, underdog run I think we should mention, though, is Bank Baros, Hungarian side that only went to the round of 16 where they got eliminated by Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, but... To top a group, I think, for a Hungarian team, based on their expectations coming well. in. And the fact that it is a group that featured Monaco, Trebzonspor, and Red Star Belgrade. So you have a French team, a Turkish team. And, and two Red champions Star. of their leagues in that, too. Yeah. Between Red Star and, uh, and mm-hmm. Trebzonspor. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a really, really impressive showing from Ferrik Barros. And, I mean, I think we are going to touch on this game in particular, but they went to Monaco and won. Like, that is an amazing feat for a team that 
most people predicted to come last in that group. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't like in hindsight. I think everybody was underestimating them, me included. But yeah, just a great performance by them in the group stage of this tournament. And, and then our final, our final underachiever here, I think, is the most and least obvious simultaneously. Um, it's Sevilla who won the title, and you're like, "What Sevilla?" They had won six Europa leagues before this year and won their seventh this year in 17 years. But you know, we've talked ad nauseum about them in recent months, but don't forget they were in the relegation zone not too many months ago. Um, so the fact that they're going to be not only a European champion again, but in the Champions League next year, after, you know, being in the bottom five for like half more than half the season is pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've talked about the job Ben Dillabar has done since he's got there. And yeah, this just kind of brings that point home, you know, given this title. Yeah. Um, why don't we move on to uh, what we consider to be the few biggest upsets of the competition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first obvious one that we actually don't have listed on our notes is sporting over Arsenal, but that feels mm. almost respectful to sporting to call it like a massive upset. But at the time, it was Arsenal- a surprise. Arsenal was like eight points clear in the league. Sporting finished fourth and which is a, which is a bad season for them. Yeah, I think at the start of the year, right, if you told me in September Sporting would eliminate Arsenal, I would have said, eh, that makes sense. Like, Yeah, not unreasonable. You know, two te- Arsenal probably fighting for, like, fourth or fifth in England was my expectation. Sporting are a pretty good team. Totally could have seen that. But the form that Arsenal was coming into that on, it was a huge upset. Yeah, uh, at, in, in, uh, at the Emirates, too. Yeah. Uh, no. um, yeah. Well, both. But they yeah. did the elimination at the Emirates, right? Yeah, they did eliminate them at the Emirates. I believe it was 2-2 in Lisbon on the first leg. Yeah. Um, and then Sporting did them in the second. Yeah. Um, we should also mention um, a couple of group stage um, surprises, both on match day two, one in which Ludogorets beat Roma 2-1. Um, this put Roma in a very precarious position to qualify. Um in the top two out of that group. They did eventually and make the final, obviously, but at the time, it wasn't a sure thing. Um, also wanted to give out a shout-out to Ferenc Varos, one of our biggest underdogs, uh, defeating Monaco in, really, in match day two and really sort of setting the stage for their um, first-place finish. So why don't yeah. we move on to, uh, unless you wanted something to say about that. I was going to add to the Ludogorets one. It ended up with Roma needing a win on the last group stage day because mm-hmm. of that, and Roma needed to get a result against uh, Betis as well. So they that game almost eliminated a finalist as a result of it, which would have been a pretty crazy upset if uh, Udegrats had managed to pull that off in the group stage as a whole. But Indeed. just a big achievement for them to get that win. Pro- probably the biggest win in club history. Yeah, up there. Um, why don't we uh, pass over some of our favorite underachievers? Yes. Um, the most, and let's start with the only club to make it on both our Europa and Conference League underachievers list. That would be Lazio, uh, who finished third place in a group with uh, that they, you know, on paper probably should have won. Um, we have uh, Arsenal because um, they were upset at home. Um, Olympiacos um, because they. Almost because they did lose in the group stage. They finished dead last in the group stage um, yeah. in a group they shouldn't have. As well. What? I mean, with only two points as well. It's not like it was a competitive mm-hmm. group like 
No. Lazio's was where smacked Herman around. Came last, but they also had eight points. Yep, they were smacked around. Um, but not only did they finish last, they, as I mentioned briefly, they barely advanced past third and playoff qualifying rounds, both advancing on penalties against worst teams on paper. Um, we also want to give a shout out to Greece, having an absolutely miserable European campaign this year. Mm-hmm. No Greek teams made it um, to knockout stages in Europe. Um, yeah. And Olympiacos finished dead last in their group as their so-called best team, even though they did finish third in the league this year as a result of a lot of uh, messiness at the club. Um, yeah. And the last one I wanted this... to point out was just the final. Mm-hmm. The final oh, was bad. Yeah. It was a terrible game, and I hated watching it. That's it. Anything to add? In context, they had a UEFA coefficient this year of 2. Point... Greece. Yes. Mm-hmm. 2175 as a country. Right. So that's, that's tough. Everything added up and then divided by the number of teams of which they get. I think it's four last year. It might have been five. But teams were going out so early. Olympiacos was the only Greek team to make a group stage. And then they get eliminated pretty easily in that group stage. They only pick up two points. They're typically their coefficients around five or six points. So this is a- where do they finish in in amongst nations? This season. So nations that had similar coefficients to them, they had the same coefficient as Slovenia. <laughs> they had less coefficient points than Faroe Islands, Armenia, and Lithuania. That's tough. Yeah. There are not many teams they finished above, most of whom are teams that were either banned, such as uh, Russia, <laughs> uh, or just didn't get anybody out of the... Uh, yeah. Uh, qualifying rounds so really and, uh, the, the national team isn't in a great spot either so naturally they're going to win the euros in, in a year um, yeah. why don't you uh, tell us about some of your favorite players in this competition who really stood oh. out for you so i think my favorite player was teddy tuma the saint we love teddy we love teddy tuma love teddy. the maltese from saint joie who was just such a creative player yeah, he's a maestro in that midfield. It's great to watch him play. Uh, and then another one that I now made it my mission to try to manifest Milan signing because I fell in love with him so much was Victor Boniface, who was putting away all the goals that Teddy Tuma was providing for him. So really, really loved that Yoshi team. He's great. And he's probably on the move this time. Yeah, those are the two guys that really stood out to me. Uh, and then some other ones just – from a little bit later in the group stage was who came to Berlin from Celtic. And I was like, Oh man, this might not be great. He was incredible when he played for them. Mm -hmm. And that part of that's also just watching some Bundesliga. I really liked him there. And then Florian Burtz as well. I mean, my pick maybe for best teenager in the world. I don't know. I've said it before. Pedri's pretty good. Pedri's pretty Uh, and then a Vander from Michelin. Mm-hmm. I thought really stood out in that midfield. So definitely um, my favorite players. Uh, how about how about best goal? Oh man, there were a lot. I think I have Rattle my answer for us. Yeah, I mean some of the standouts: Pedro Goncalves, Gonzalez, and I don't Gonzalez, cannot do Portuguese. Probably. Cannot do Portuguese last names. No. Uh, he scored from the midway line to eliminate Arsenal. That was and that cool. was an uh, Angel Di Maria 
got a little one-touch curler right into the top left for, mm. I think it was second when they went 2 0 and won 3 0. That was an incredible goal. That was, that was uh, a great one. Against Juve, Suso scored the winner with a beautiful long range curler of his own. Mm. But then that stood out a lot. But I think, I mean, I think this isn't a Ballon d'Or final. I don't remember when the Ballon d'Or is because I don't, or not Ballon d'Or, the Puskas Award. I don't remember when the Puskas Award is because I don't really pay attention to it. But if the Laurent's mm. goal is not one of those, I'll be astounded. I mean, that was... I think Laurence Asenio should win the Ballon d'Or, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed. Just that one play shows that he's better than everybody else. It's a it's a winner. It won the... Or Drew won, won the game, right? Against... Mm, yes. Yeah, I believe it was the winner. And it's just a cross because Ren had played really, really poorly. And he comes across... Like, jumps out of his shoes. Mm. And manages to get his heel on the ball. He's like... It's just super acrobatic and knocks it past a goalkeeper. I think one of the best goals of the year in any competition. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Next, do you have any finally, non-goal favorite moments? Yeah. Um, I think just a couple of fun things that don't fit in categories here. Final thoughts. Group F in the Europa League, all four teams finished on eight points. That was a lot of fun. Never seen that before in any competition. Yeah, um, the only thing I'm sad about with that group was that Sturm Graz were the one that finished fourth. Yeah, they deserve. Yeah, they deserve to keep playing in Europe, um, mm-hmm. and they might have done better with their chance in the Conference League uh, than Lazio. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also think uh, this didn't make on it. Neither of these two games made it on the best uh, game list, but in the knockout round, uh, which featured Leverkusen and Monaco, um, they played two. Three two results, first and second legs. The away team winning each leg, and Leverkusen went on to win in penalties. Um, there were a lot of really good goals, um, and a lot of just like really fun attacking flair. Um, some fun attacking young players. Obviously, we're a fan of Leverkusen's um, lineups, um, so I wanted to give that a shout out. And I think my favorite moment of the whole competition was the two goals David De Gea basically conceded himself. In the in the second leg against Sevilla in the quarterfinal, uh, hey, that's the that's your Premier League Golden Glove winner, baby. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the most clean sheets. I mean, he's not a bad goalkeeper. He just has weird moments like that. Um, yeah. so that was funny. I'm, Why don't we move on to that, what? Would not have guessed that United kept the most clean sheets. I know, right? Uh, yeah. it's all it's because Lautaro Martinez is too short to be a Premier League defender. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to the conference league. Yeah. Um, who provided some of our favorite moments despite being, you know, the quote unquote third string competition. Um, let's start with a few four three games, um, including match week one, um, in the group stage where Virial barely squeaked by Leck at home four three. Um, they scored the winner in the 89th minute and uh Ishak hit two against them. Um, you know, this was our first experience watching Black, really, other than the, you know, the play-in knockouts um, and the qualifiers, I should say. Um, and we were like, holy shit, these guys are kind of fun. And, and you know, they'd uh, they'd stay with us deep into the tournament. Um, and another, it was on the group stage in match day three, where Balkani scored a 91st minute 
equalizer, or excuse me, Sivaspor scored a 91st minute equalizer at home against Balkani, only for Balkani to steal the game again in the 94th minute. Um, Balkani um, was one of our favorite teams also. Um, I think making it further than any Kosovoan team ever had. Yes. Uh, that's correct. I think um, what group stage. That was, yeah, I think they did that just by getting to the groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, let alone, you know, winning a game and drawing a game in the group stage. I mean, and what a win. What a win it was. And uh, and this was kind of a theme of what we've seen in the Europa League in its first two years of existence, which a chance for teams at many different levels um, to, you know, achieve stuff in Europe that they would never have the chance to if it didn't exist. Yeah, and uh, just a note off of the Balkani thing. Shortly after that game, he was called uh, Prasniki, who scored the winner. Arnold mm-hmm. Prasniki. He was called up for the Kosovan national team just like shortly after that and got his first ever Kosovan cap. He got a move to Cluj as well in January. Damn, bro. Getting into the group stage for some of these smaller teams can really make players' careers if they go on yeah. to put in performances. Big I deal. His career in the Champions League. A um, couple other games I wanted to shout out. Um, Lek again, uh, this time beating Fiorentina in the second leg of the quarterfinal in Florence 3-2, but, Luke, but losing on aggregate 6-4. Um, this was after they lost 4-1 at home and then came back and, uh, and equalized the tie after three successive goals in Florence. Um, they did eventually lose, but it was a really cool moment um, and almost disastrous collapse for the almost champions <laughs> Fiorentina. Um a lot of almost uh, yeah um and then Fiorentina got there got a little more dramatic in the semifinal where it where they had a 130 minute winner <laughs> um from Badak against Basel uh to break Swiss hearts um and I want to shout out Slovatsko too um who's new to the to European football um and uh yeah no uh, the Czech side gave us some more fun games than we thought we thought they'd get their ass kicked and you know, they did sometimes, but they actually played with a lot more attacking flair than we had expected. So always appreciate that. Um, yeah, they, they were the most fun. Sorry, what do you? They saying? were a really, really tough group too. So I think mm-hmm. that was part of why we kind of counted them out. Was you know, mm-hmm. Cole, Partizan, all in the same group, and you're like, oh man, this little mm-hmm. kind of upstart Czech team, like, it's going to be rough for them. But three, and they three finished last, but. Like, they finished with a lot of dignity. Um, and uh, now for the probably the most fun um, category of this entire podcast, the biggest underdog run in the Conference League. Um, featured some great options, including Balkani, who we mentioned, made it to a group stage for the first time for a Kosovoan team. They even won a game, which we just discussed. Um, we mentioned Basel, got to, almost got to the final. They almost took... Uh, Fiorentina to penalties in the semifinals. Um, big deal for them. Um, Lech, as we also mentioned, all the way to the quarterfinals, almost complete, completing that huge comeback in Florence. And then finally, David, do you want to give us a, like a quick uh, shout-out to our friends in Vaduz? Oh, Vaduz. Vaduz. The Lichtensteiners get all the way to the group stage and put in a great performance. So good that at one point, Lichtenstein had the fourth highest rated league in COVID. 
which I just, <laughs> it's a useless thing because Liechtenstein is a special kind of category since they just have the cup. You're right. Liechtenstein is special. Yeah. Liechtenstein is special. And it's special. Uh, it honestly, I, it got me so interested in Vaduz that I tried for about 45 minutes to watch the Liechtenstein Cup final this year, mm-hmm. but it wasn't aired. It was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> that I kind of streamed for it. So and the good news is that we have Vaduz back for another season. Yeah. And probably will season. every single season in qualifying because, yeah. um, but for them just making the group stage and being competitive there was a big deal. Um, the funniest thing is, was that they're a second bottom in the second tier in the Swiss League the entire run. Terrible domestically this year. They're terrible. Second bottom in the Swiss League, all, the second Swiss League almost all season. And um, meanwhile, they're just like beating teams in the Conference League. Very funny. Very impressive. Um, speaking of Vaduce, why don't we go to biggest upset where in the playoff qualifying round to make it in to the group stage – they beat Rapid VN 2-1 on aggregate, a game we were glued to on our television um, because it was so surprising. Rapid VN really shit the bed, but all credit to the Lichtensteinians, Steiners, Steinens? Steiners. Lichtensteinens. Scott Steiners, yes. Whatever. Um, also wanted to shout out Anderlecht, who, despite having a pretty poor domestic season, made a deep run into this competition. They beat probably the favorites so at this point, Villarreal 2-1 on aggregate, um, conceding only one goal over two legs. was very impressive. Um, and also, Basel, um, in their quarterfinal tie, they beat the, fav- the obvious favorite in that tie, Nice, 4-3 on aggregate, um, which we weren't expecting. Um, yeah, I thought, I don't want to say Nice were huge underachievers, but I thought it was a really disappointing tournament for them because yeah they topped their group in the group stage but they looked really poor doing it it looked like they were going to go out until the last second it looked like Cohn was going to sneak through and partisan were going to top the group and then yeah they beat sheriff pretty handily but to lose your second knockout tie and it's to basel who like you would expect to be able to beat pretty easily i think it's Mm -hmm. i mean probably the best performance of any French team in Europe this year, but it still was a very disappointing oh, dude. I mean, we um, crapped on the Yeah, France had a tough year, too. Only fair, we also crapped on the French for that, because yeah. really rough year. And I'm not going to lie, Max, I'm not sure it's going to get better next year. I'm a little I'm worried sure it is either. how the teams they have in Europe are shaping up. But See if Mbappe is a PSG or not, again. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, the teams look like they're going to get picked apart. Yeah, speaking of the group, I thought Cologne will be disappointed that they finished third. Um, They weren't that great either. Um, Lazio, as we mentioned, only team to make it on both these lists, went out after barely beating Cluj in the knockout round. They lost to AZ Alkmaar, uh, eventual semifinalists in the round of 16. And uh, Villarreal, we just mentioned, round of 16 should never go out there. Um, and my personal favorite is uh, Stout Bucharest, who lost in the group stage 5-0 to Silkeborg in consecutive weeks. Two back-to-back weeks, home and away, 5-0 losses. I remember looking at the odds for the first game because I was like, oh, I don't really know like that much about either of these teams yet. This is obviously our first year doing the podcast, so we're still learning a lot about how they play in Europe. And Stout Bucharest was favored on the betting odds in the first game. Against and also, and Silkeborg, those are only two games they won in the in the group stage. <laughs> Very funny. 
Um, on a more positive note, some guys that I thought really stood out this year and kind of maybe breakout players, maybe like just guys that win you over with their play style. Uh, Gift Orban for Ghent was superb. Uh, Gift indeed. Gifted player. Whatever they're feeding Nigerian strikers, I need some of that. <laughs> Uh, Milos Kerkez, who I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're right, if you can handle what Nigerian strikers are packing, Dave. Nigerian diet. Uh, Milos Kerkez, the I have him listed as the defender on this thing, but that's he's such a forward minded defensive player. But his ability mm-hmm. to get to the byline for Azed made me really like him, and he's super young. Andy Duf, who we'll maybe get to talk about next year when he returns to Red. He was on loan at Basel, and now he's back at Ren. Maybe he'll get a chance with them. And finally, Mikkel Ishak, that both Max and I just kind of fell in love with, just the way he played and his physical presence. Big boy. On the love field, him. this is great. Uh, um, should we move on to just some of the best goals? Let's do a couple goals. Yeah. So the first one I have here is the Terra Mulfi against Basel, the overhead bike that I thought, oh, God. Nisa, he's yeah. going through. That was ridiculous. I was hoping Basel would give us a Cinderella story, but that was an insane goal. Uh, but he had to outdo one from Andy Diouf earlier in the year against Zalgiris. Just a, it's like maybe 30 yards out. Like it's a long distance out. Fair way out. Yeah. And he just one time rocket into the corner of the net. I mean, it's a beautiful goal. Uh, Erdogan Yezelyert for Sivaspor. Against Fiorentina, he does like a reverse Arjen Robbins. So this time it's just from the left wing instead of the right. Cuts inside. It's a great goal against Fiorentina. And Declan Rice goes coast to coast against Ghent. That just kind of put it to bed. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was kind of similar to like uh, the Teo Hernandez goal Mm. for Milan that set them on their way to their title last year. Except Mm -hmm. Declan Rice is doing it already up and just like, I mean, it's a great run. So many players. Uh, Ghent were caught a little forward and sunny esque. Impressive to watch somebody with that type of like build who's able to bounce people off of him and also dribble through you and also then outrun you is a super impressive run. Uh, He's always technically better than you think he's going to be, too. Like you don't expect him to have that quality with the ball at his feet, especially, but he's really good at at those sort of like driving runs um, through the middle of the pitch. This one, particularly special, of course. Yeah. All right, and then our favorite moment from the Conference League? I already touched on Vaduz, um, but, you know, second to last, to reiterate, in the Swiss second Swiss tier, and playing awesome football in Europe is pretty special. Um, I think, uh, I think, yeah, you wanted to you wanted to mention Nolsey again? Oh, shout yeah, out to Nolsey. Nolsey was great. Uh, the other one I put down there was just, like, Villarreal and Lech on the first day of the group stage mm-hmm. to have that kind of game. Just like kind of set things up. Yeah. It's great to watch. Um I and think I- and I think a nice place to close is that um, you know, we've seen, you know, Man City win the Champions League. We had that ugly Sevilla Roma final, really aggro. It was just nice having a uh a conference league final between two clubs who don't get to have European trophies and had a wholesome experience, except for um somebody throwing a vape at Viragi. Um, and it was just a, it was just a nice moment. It's sad for Fiorentina, but for a club like West Ham to have that experience was really cool. And is another reason we love this competition. 
yeah, I think it's a good way to bring it home. It was two teams that really made you want to watch the competition and two teams that really mm-hmm. sucked at just how they played and yeah. the story behind them getting there that made mm-hmm. it a great, yeah. great time. And the, uh, the very last thing I want to say before we wrap up our season's pod uh, is that uh, we will return for third round qualifying in the Europa and the Europa Conference League. Uh, the first leg begins August 10th. So we'll be back to update you on where teams are at in the qualifying. Um, you know, the Europa League picks up there. The Conference League has two rounds prior that have teams too small to watch. Like literally we couldn't find streams if we tried. Um, so we'll see you We'll see you in, in, in less than two months. Uh, hmm. Crazy that the Conference League actually starts in like three weeks, but um, sucks for those guys. But um, we'll see you at the beginning of August and Fucking cheers to the gaffer, man. Cheers to you, listener. Cheers Cheers to you. you.